Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in British policing for quite a few years now. This podcast is all about what it was really like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. In the podcast, I'll talk about all the different jobs that I did, and I'll interview people who also did some really interesting things. I'll give you my thoughts about what's been going on recently in the news to help you understand how it all works. Spoiler alert, it's not like it is on the telly. This podcast is the real deal. I'm going to be discussing some quite disturbing things from time to time, so listener caution is advised. There may also be a bit of swearing, so best to keep the kids out of the room. Everything I say and have written comes out of a place of great love for British policing. You may not agree with it all, and that's okay. But all I ask is that you listen with an open mind, and if you go away feeling that you know a bit more about what policing is really all about, and perhaps have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Hello folks, welcome to episode 48 of the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. I hope you're well, you're surviving the uh, rather hot weather. Um, the newspapers would have us believe that the four horses of the apocalypse are just about to start galloping over the hill and uh, the entire uh, population of the UK is going to be laid low by the uh, extreme temperatures. But um, let's hope that's not going to happen. Right, this week um, the podcast is going to be all about murder, investigating murder. And I had an absolutely fantastic conversation with Steve Keogh who brought out a book very recently called Murder Investigation Team, How Scotland Yard Investigates Murder. I hope I got the title right there. But it, the book's doing really well, and uh, it's going to be coming out in paperback soon. I believe it was brought out initially uh, in Kindle, and he's now got a publisher for paperback. I've no doubt it's going to go flying off the shelves, because what Steve doesn't know about investigating murder just isn't worth knowing. So... Um, before we do that, just to let you know, this will be the first podcast that I have an advert in it. Um, I'm going to try and keep any adverts down to uh, a minimum to ensure that we don't spoil your listening experience. But this is actually an advert for a company that I'm working with and doing some really, really exciting stuff. It'll be about 90 seconds long, so just bear with me and it'll be sort of somewhere in the middle of the podcast. Right, thank you very much indeed, and let's get on with the interview with Steve. Hey, there he is. There you go. <laughs> Good morning to you. How are you? Right, I'm just waiting to see if this goes into my ear. Uh, just just a quick warning. Uh, yeah, yeah. My youngest has got chicken pox. Uh, that's all right. Um, uh... So she's home, but she's very good. She's got her iPad and her headphones in. <laughs> well, maybe she... she could come on and, uh, you know, tell us what you're really like, you know. So give you <laughs> give us the uh, the lowdown on the good, the bad and the ugly of your parenting style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we, we will avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine, mate. I live in the real world and uh, I've uh, had to battle all sorts of uh, distractions. Um, in the podcast you know over many months um you know amazon usually amazon um 
but we've got building work going on at the house at the moment. So, uh, so that's been interesting trying to find a quiet place to do yeah. recordings and things. So, uh, yeah. so how are you? All right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm enjoying life. Got to be honest. Good. Excellent. That's, that's, um, uh, always good to hear. And yeah. yeah, well, it's been busy. You've been busy boy, haven't you? Um, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff. So for anyone who's, uh, so first of all, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's really lovely to have you on. And, um, yeah, just to reassure you, we're, I just I only record the audio, not the, the videos. So, um, yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, I think we've got loads of things to talk about, and I'm really interested in hearing all about your career and what you're doing now. And firstly, congratulations on the book. Uh, it's doing really well, isn't it? Cheers. Yes, it's, it's done better than I, I expected, to be honest. Um, when I when I because I self-published. I know you've written a book, haven't you? You went through yes, a publisher. That's right. Yeah, I self-published and I did it with very low expectations. Um, and so everything has just been a bonus. And the fact it's now been picked up by a publisher is, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. So, so your book, and I'll just, I'll get this right. I'll just call up Amazon here. Um, murder investigation team, uh, High Scotland Yard really captures killers. And can I just say, um, whilst it's lovely to have you on the podcast, I'm a bit pissed off. You've got nearly three times the number of reviews than I've got on my book. So uh, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's all changed a bit now because um, they've, they've changed the title. The, the publishers they obviously didn't like. They didn't like the Scotland Yard bit. So right. they've taken that out. Um, so now it's just called uh, How Killers Are Really Caught, I think, something like that. All right, okay. Hold on. My, I think my internet connection is playing up a little bit. Let me just, um, yeah, sorry about that. That has never happened. I tell you what, I hope you're not going to jinx my bloody podcast, you. <laughs> it's flipping. No, it's never happened to me laptop before. Um, I just dropped the Wi-Fi completely, um, so I plugged it into um ethernet which is a lot more reliable so right okay anyway sorry we were saying um the publishers um the publishers wanted you to change the um title is that right yeah so i, I i've i've gone with them i mean they're the experts they know these things it's a it's a company called bonnier and they've got um they're kind of number one in uk uh, true crime Right. Um, so they know what they're doing, and and I've I've just said, look, you wherever you think they've changed the cover, they've changed the title. Yeah, you're yeah. the experts. You you do what you think's right. Is the is the actual text exactly the same? Almost, yeah, ninety nine point nine percent is right. Yeah, okay, yeah. So what? Um, why didn't you go down the traditional publishing route initially? Why? What made you decide to self publish? Um, it was all to do with timing. So originally, when my whole idea of why I was writing a book is completely different to how it ended up so what, what as I was coming up to the end of my retirement I was like well what am I going to do um and my overriding thing was I didn't want to work for anybody ever again uh, for 30 years yeah of being told what to do <laughs> yeah, yeah where to go when to do it yeah I've just worn down by it yeah yeah so the the, the thing that uh, that I wanted to do the most was be my own boss Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd set up a company and the idea was, so when, when you're looking at um, outside jobs, once you leave the police, a lot of people talk about um, skills that you've got that are transferable yeah. into private industry. And 
it, it was the idea that look, 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 I'm a police officer. Can you give me a job? I've got all these skills. Yeah. But the way I I was looking at well, actually, if we've got these skills, maybe we should be going out and teaching them what we've yeah. learned around things like decision making and problem solving, etc. So that was the goal. Mm-hmm. That was that was my idea. And everything I everything I read said if you want to position yourself as an expert, you write a book. So yeah. that's what I started to do. I started to write a book about. Um, these are the skills that we use within murder investigations that mm-hmm. are transferable to business. Yeah. It kind of it, it, it ended up morphing into a book that that I never never set out to do, which was mm. this is how murders investigated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what I realized when I started writing is that no one had ever done that. No one's ever written a book around how we investigate murders. They've written about yeah. specific cases, like there'll yeah. be a high profile case, and you'll have the SIO or someone coming on and writing about that. But no one's actually said, well, actually, this is what this is what we do, not, yeah. not what you might see on telly. This is what we actually do in murder investigations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it kind it's kind of it's got a little bit of traction. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not it's not an international bestseller, but it's sold yeah. more than I expected. Well, it's interesting because um, you know, I, I I had a little bit of a lucky break with my book because I'd got rejected by quite a few agents who just didn't, I mean, gotta remember the police as an organization was not being looked on favorably by kind of anyone uh, mm. at that time um sort of back in 2020 21 um you know it was just it was just a complete bloody car crash wasn't it um uh, but uh, fortunately i you know the, my publishers um really really liked it and they took me on and, and actually got another offer from another publisher um but we had a bit of a we had a bit of a disagreement over the title because uh, because i wanted um the, t- the title as you as you probably know is um tiger juliet foxtrot yeah. um, how did it all go wrong for british policing which they that was they that was the title that they wanted you know uh whereas i just wanted it to be tiger juliet foxtrot because i thought that would be more I- intriguing for people you know what i mean yeah um because actually um i think the book is um a lot more than just talking about how it went wrong for policing it's all about you know my career and i think that's where people seem to really enjoy reading about the things that i did over the years um so it's a funny one isn't it negotiating that relationship with a publisher because at one hand you know they've they've got the power haven't they because um if they turn around to you and say sorry but you know we've changed our mind we're not going to publish a book you're absolutely yeah. snookered aren't you um, but yeah, so you, so it's when's it coming out in paperback then? Well, so 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 yeah. So what? what so you asked me a question. I didn't actually answer. Oh, sorry. It, it was what? Why I self-published? I, I, I went off on one. I didn't actually answer your question. And the reason I self-published was um, because I was in control of timings. So I was I retired in on the first November last year. Oh, yeah. And I published on the first November last year. Right. And with with a publisher you're completely in their hands as to when when you get it out yeah so that was a major factor in, in why i did it right um and i did the job you know that you're, a... you're going to be writing this book no no and but what i've i've not put anything in it that isn't public um, yeah, yeah in the public yeah. domain anyway yeah like no, me, so yeah. for instance when i talk about um cases i don't i don't name victims i don't name mm. suspects mm. i don't talk about anything that hasn't been aired in court yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not about that. It's not about it's not about the dirty secrets in the background that I'm that I'm revealing. It's not about yeah. that at all. It's yeah, about yeah. the process. 
mm-hmm. and the process. I mean, when I say the book hasn't been published before, there is a certain book you can pick up. It's called the SIO's Handbook, mm. but it's not very accessible for most for, people. For a bit, bit dry, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I'm just bringing a bit of life to um, what essentially is just a process. That's good. And uh, we'll come on later on to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing now, because I know you've got this thing called the Murder Academy, which is mm. presumably not about teaching people how to murder people, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He says laughing nervously. Yeah, I think I might be all right here, actually. I mean, I'd like to think I've 12 years of investigating murder, I would have, I would have picked up a tip or two. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's like a, a gun gun for hire to uh, organise crime groups, you know, there you go. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. this, I'm sure it's probably very well paid, but you're probably likely to end up in prison, are you? <laughs> yeah, be, that's the only downside. I'm not sure I'll be very good in prison. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about your police career then. Um, so you joined in 1991, is that right? I did, yeah. yeah and did you have any, any, what was the background to that? Did you have family in the police or did you know people in the police? Or what was it, what was it motivated you to join the police in the first place? Um, it was mostly boredom in the job I was doing so I was pretty young when I joined I left school um probably about 1990 I left school and I was training to be an accountant um a a firm up in it's it's actually right at the back of it well I don't think it's there anymore but it's right at the back of the old bailey and um it was so dull I mean it was the worst thing I was I was I mean what was I I was 19 sat Mm. in an office full of these middle-aged men (laughs) Do it. And I spent most of it because it was before the days where all uh, accounts were on computers. So a lot of it was in books. And I spent oh most of my God. day trying to work out why things didn't add up. And I was so mm. bored. Sounds um, dreadful. It was dreadful. And well, I was right opposite the Bailey. I used to see the comings and goings of the police. You know, like the special escort group would come up. And yeah. were really exciting. Yeah. I was yeah. really, I, I liked the bill at the time. So yeah. that, I mean, I know my family were more on the other side, to be honest. I come from a, a family that more likely to be in prison than, than putting mm. people in prison. Yeah. And um, so there was no real connection with the police, but it was, it was, it, it, it appeared to me to be a much more exciting life than, than I was doing as an accountant. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because one of my one of my podcast guests who hasn't gone out yet, um, David Howell, he was on Air Ops for a long time, and he said he made me laugh. He he was working for a, I think it was a surveyors company or something like that, and he's and his advice that he was given, you know, in his when he first started was, don't look out the window in the morning because otherwise you'll have nothing to do in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i I can completely relate honestly yeah (laughs) so right so you join the police um and you go to hendon like uh like like well not we all did because not only you only do that if you're in the met aren't you but uh as as you and i were in the met don't even do that in the met now do they no no god knows what they do probably it's probably Mm. like i don't know probably on on tinternet isn't it or something um (laughs) so did you enjoy training school no I'll be no, honest no because no, why not i'll tell you for why i was um where, where were you born and bred are you local south london yeah right so, okay so you're one of the rare london. people in the met who actually came from london though weren't you yeah and, and when, when I, my first posting was actually to where i went when i were in school and i went to i went quite a rough school in south london so i was i was nicking people i went to school with which oh, is which is fun um but yeah no i didn't and the reason i didn't is um i i was with my girlfriend to be wife at the time we just got a flat together mm. and it was 20 weeks of staying up there and it was just 
I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at home in my new flat with my girlfriend. And I, yeah. I, it was it was all right. Um, I, I much preferred my DCs course when I did it six <laughs> about nine years later. That was much more fun. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it was all it was all right. It was just one yeah. of those things you had to get through when I was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And where where did you get posted to as your first nick? In, in Greenwich in South London. Oh, Greenwich, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I don't really know Greenwich particularly well. So let me let me. Okay, this is going to test me now. See if I can remember what the call sign is. It's going to be a Papa something. Is it Papa something? No. Oh bloody hell, Is it Mike something? No. Oh shit! You're, you're in the right area, but oh, it's, it's Romeo. Romeo. Golf. Romeo. Oh bloody hell! I don't think I've set foot on our. I don't think I ever set foot on our <laughs> district actually. <laughs> One of, yeah. uh, no, one of it, it, that, that that was like I say it was a bit of a tester because when when you're 20 years old and you're um you, you're policing the area you grew up in and, and like I say I, I, the school I went to ch- churned out many more criminals than it did police officers mm-hmm. um so but but it gave me a bit of a head start I think because I I, I had the advantage where I knew the area and yeah. and I knew the people and and, yeah. and I'm strong believer in if you know the people, it makes you a better police officer. Yeah. Um, so if I'm stopping, if I was stopping someone driving a car, I'd have a much better idea of what kind of person they are. Are they telling yeah. me the truth than someone who's been parachuted in from a, yeah. a village somewhere up north? And yeah, you know I mean? yeah. they've, got lot, they've got lots of barriers to get over. Yeah. For me, it was more about learning about the, the job itself rather than the area. So it was definitely an advantage. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't yeah. fun nicking people you went to school with and getting the abuse that went with it. Um, <laughs> so, but, did, you, did you say you, you're nicking people you went to school with? I mean, um, you know, were you seeing those people out in the bike quite regularly or in, in South London at the time? Yeah, yeah. I remember my first foot chase. It was a, a, a lad in my year at school, and um, oh shit. Yeah, it's just it was just. But it, my my circle of friends, my my good mates, weren't that kind of person. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it was people that you knew. You, you might, they might have been in. You might have shared a classroom with them, or or you were in the same year. But they weren't like yeah. mate mates. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't bother me. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. So, um, yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about policing back back in those days, because I took a bit. I took quite a lot about this in my book. Um, mm. You know, it was a very. I, mean, I joined in '89, so just before you uh, went to South London. Um, yeah, it was very, very different, wasn't it? And we had this very quite, I don't know what what it was like where you were, but certainly where I was, it was very competitive uh, between reliefs, you know, in terms of, you know, numbers of prisoners or bodies, as we would have said in the day. Mm. Um, you know, what was it like where you were in Greenwich? Was it, what was it like that? It wasn't, like, to be fair, it wasn't when I started. I don't think... So when I remember when I first came out, once you got out of your probation, arrest figures and whatever didn't mean anything because you weren't mm. you weren't being measured. Um, and then what they did is they introduced a, a, if you wanted to get say a response course, then you had to prove that you were doing the arrests and, mm. and stop and searches and whatnot. I think that probably changed. And then they started publishing figures around what team had what arrests, stops, and that. And that, that did start to motivate people after a mm. few years because you, you don't want to be the team at the bottom, do you? Mm, mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that did come in after a while. But not, when I first got there, it wasn't. So it was a probationer. You got given every arrest. Oh, there's an arrest. C- call them up and no matter what it was, they will hand them to you. 
Mm. Um, and that kind of stopped a bit after a few years when people were suddenly being measured on what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was always that thing as well about, um, you know, there was a, I was perfectly comfortable with this business of being given an arrest, so to speak, if I ideally was actually physically there. When, <laughs> yeah. That wasn't always necessarily the case, was it? When, when, when the uh, dirty deed had been committed or whatever. But um, yeah. what, what you know, back in the day, there was that sort of culture, wasn't there, of, you know, the rests were perfectly legitimate, but people thought they were doing probationers a favour because mm. they were, like, giving them arrests. But, you know, half, you know, not say half the time, there was certainly times when the probationer was some distance away from where the action had been taking place, you know what I mean? And I'm thank yeah. God. Yeah, I think my first ever arrest was that. I, I turned up and someone said, oh, have you arrested this person? what it was some sort, yeah. of, some sort of assault i think you've arrested this person because he's done this oh yeah, I? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the... and most and most of the time to be fair um you know the, the 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 arresting officer would literally just arrest them on the suspicion of taking a motor vehicle or theft or whatever and then the person who had been given the evidence would then write up the evidence you know what i mean so it wasn't like mm. it wasn't like as if it was complete fiction or anything like that but no. it, but 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 thank god thank god that sort of stuff doesn't go on anymore because i can remember that being very stressful you know thinking there were certain teams particularly who were more prone to that than others shall we say you know yeah yeah it's, it's, there's there was a lot that used to go on there that at the time you just accepted mm. um so, for instance, a stolen car, mm. they bomb burst. It's always the driver that got used to get caught. But yeah. and I understood, I understood it, and etc. But looking back now, if if when you've got um, young police officers coming out and straight away mm. they're being taught to bend the rules slightly yeah 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 that can very easily then lead yeah. on to yeah 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 it's, it's, like, a, it's like a yeah bigger stuff it's like a pyramid yeah, isn't it if you have definitely. enough people thinking that at yeah. the bottom they can get away with yes yeah. there's going to be some that push it that little bit further yeah, yeah. to eventually get to the point where you've got like you don't the, know the, the difference between the truth and the truth and lies you know no and you've got yeah. the south london crime squad that are essentially criminals working in the police and yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so but they all would have started off at the same place wouldn't they where they're yeah. being told actually it's all right to do this yeah yeah well who was that? i'm trying to think which commissioner described that i think was it condon maybe who described that as was you noble cause corruption in other words mm. doing what you believe to be the right thing um you know but for all the wrong reasons you know and um and then you've got uh sorry <laughs> so he's got sort of sort of daughter right uh Sorry. <laughs> that's all right no worries that's a uh, good good parenting now yeah he's noble to cause corruption so that idea that you know you you've got the right person they've done they've definitely done what they've said that you know has been done but you know there's been some filling in of the gaps yeah. in the evidence around yeah. around the edges which you know is just wrong you know it's just wrong and uh yeah, so anyway, moving on. So you eventually uh, had a hankering to become uh, a detective, is that right? At some point, yeah. I wasn't originally. I, 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 when I first joined, I wanted to be a dog handler. Um, but 
I had a, I don't know. What I, what I found was what really motivated me. What I enjoyed was nicking people. Mm. Um, so you know, it's like because you, you kind of get then if you get a reputation as a bit of a, a thief taker, mm. you get invited onto the crime squad, which is what happened. And then that's that natural route, isn't it, that we used mm. to follow? And before you know it, you're 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 a DC. Yeah. So that so that so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't my goal when I joined, um, but it became. If if you enjoy arresting people, it just seemed the obvious route to go down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, did you stay in that part of the of the city, or did you um, move move somewhere else? I went to Peckham. So, All right, um, okay. yeah, so I went to Peckham as a DC. That was my first post. I didn't stay there very long, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I did about two years or so. Um, and then do you remember when the old adverts used to come out in notices so for jobs? Mm. Um, it was every Friday, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I saw a, 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 an advert for a, the anti-terrorist branch. I thought, oh, yeah. well, that sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I've no idea what they do. It yeah. must be something to do with terrorists, but it sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, so I put in an application. And what year um, was that? It was back, it, that was 2002 by the time I joined. Right. Um, and yeah, it was much smaller back then. I think it was something like 70 something detectives. There were only four teams. Right. Um, and we we just had one floor at Scotland Yard and it was much, much, much smaller than it, it, it became when it became yeah, SO15. Yeah. We're SO13 back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I'd I, literally I, just left. I just left your sister department at that point because I was SO12. Right. Um, okay. So, so we were up on the on the 17th and the 18th floors of Scotland Yard and you were on the 16th yeah. point, 15th and 16th point, yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. So we, we, so yeah, so I didn't expect to get it, to be honest, because it was supposed to be difficult to get on. And I, I don't know how, I, I managed to scrape my way on. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed it. it. I did three years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it was, we were really, really busy because it was so small. Mm-hmm. You, you basically were putting your hand up all the time to, if there was anything came in at the weekend, and it was mm. always weekend working, getting involved in some good jobs. Um, and I left there in 2005, and it was just after the bombing. So I managed to, and I'm pleased I I, I got to do that. Um, it, it wasn't a particularly easy task that we were given, mm. but mm. I was pleased to be able to be part of that. So you you that was the 7-7 seven, seven bombings, yeah? That was 7-7 seven, seven bombings, yeah. So I, I was DC then. So me and the DS I was with, we were the first from SO13 on scene at um, Edgware Road, the underground bomb in there. And we didn't leave for two weeks. We, we got there and, and we, we stayed there for two weeks. They put us oh. up in a hotel opposite in the Hilton. Um, and it was, it was hard work and it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. But it was mm. one of those things, you, I think as police officers, we all, we all want to be able, if, if something happens, we want to be there to be able to do something, to be part of it, to, yeah. to yeah, feel yeah. like you're contributing. And mm. so it, yeah. it, it was the worst terrorist i'm pretty sure it still is that yeah, has yeah. ever been the worst in london that's right um and to be able to be part of that and feel like you're doing something towards it i was mm. i was pleased i managed to get to do that yeah well previous in a previous episode um i talked to um bob gallagher who was the uh, senior uh, crime scene investigator at the manchester arena mm. bombing um and he the you know his, his descriptions of that crime scene were pretty horrific and i would imagine edgeware road would have been um you know just as bad um and, and arguably maybe even worse because of the working conditions uh trying to deal with a scene like that uh underground yeah. i suppose yeah i mean it, 
it wasn't the worst to be honest the, the, our one was 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 bad and and you can imagine a, a, a bomb going off on a pack train at a, a rush hour you can imagine what you're going to see mm. um but there was there was one at russell square so the the tube systems the, all the lines are very different so going through edgeware road is the district and circle which is a double um track Mm. and Edgware Road has actually got an open station about 100 yards back from where the bomb went off. Right. Whereas some colleagues were, who were at Russell Square were on the um, Piccadilly line, and it's really, really deep, and it's a single track, mm. uh, with, leaving like just a few feet around the, the each side of the train to get in and out. Mm. And it was, I can't remember the numbers now, I think something like, I think we had seven deaths at Edgware Road, if I remember rightly. And I think at Russell Square, they had 20 plus. Oh, God. Um, and it was much, much worse. And, it, and bear in mind, it was the height of summer. Mm. It got to the point where they were using um, the divers to go down because they, that you, you needed breathing yeah. apparatus to, to, yeah. to, to operate in there. Yeah, yeah. So as bad as it was for us, it certainly wasn't the worst. The ones, ones at Russell Square, I really felt for them. They, they really, really, really had a bad time. Yeah, well, you know, I, I can't even imagine uh, what that must have been like. And, um, you know, and I keep on saying this again and again, is that people need to understand, um, you know, the, the impact that dealing with this kind of stuff has on people. Because, you know, cops are just human beings, aren't they? Just, mm. nor just normal people uh, who, who are doing a, a very extraordinary sort of job sometimes. And, yeah, so uh, so you, you, you moved off from... Uh, counterterrorism then into the murder investigation is that right yeah so I, I got promoted as ds and i went back to to borough for a while i went to um east london i crossed the river i got a nosebleed and went north of the river oh, bloody hell um which was good actually i quite enjoyed it um it was a bit different it was i i, it, I did um They're a funny old half, bunch funny old bunch north of the river aren't they it, it, it is it's weird like there's just slight <laughs> little differences that you notice um but a lot of it is like um so were you earlier on we were talking about mike district papa district and all that yeah. sort of stuff over there they don't it's only a little thing but they they would call it j and, and they don't yeah. use they don't use that the, the phonetic alphabet yeah um I did about three years there, and then and then I, then then I found my calling, if you like, without yeah. making it sound corny. Yeah. Um, I went to the murder teams, and I, and I never left. I, I left I left for a few months on promotion to DI. Um, I went to Trident the Gang Command for a bit, but I got back to the murder team as soon as I could because it's. I just I just found where I wanted to be, and I found what really really motivated me. And, I, and were they and still were they still called the Amits then? Uh, area major investigation teams, or had the name changed? No, they they were Mits by then. So they were um, murder investigation teams. Murder investigation teams. When I got there, there were twenty four um, twenty four murder teams. There were four Trident murder teams. And a child abuse team, SCO, SCD five murder team. So there were twenty nine in total. Okay. Um, and then, as as <laughs> I think they, when the cuts came in, they they did. I think they tried to to shield us from it as long as possible. Mm. But eventually, it caught up, and they dropped us from twenty nine teams in the Met to eighteen murder teams, which is quite a drastic cut, well, isn't it? That's a that's a fascinating statistic in itself, isn't it? You know, and um there's so much you could say about that really but it, i suppose it's testament to 
those teams that they were still operating, you know, in a way that was still managing to bring a lot of offenders to justice. But I've got a lot, I've got no doubt whatsoever that that must have put a lot of stress on a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, first off, if we're talking about performance, when you when you investigate your murders, everyone you don't solve stings. You you go into a murder determined to solve it. There's no, mm. there's, there's there's nothing in you that says, oh, oh, well, we can let this one go. We solve we solve five already. This one doesn't matter. It's not every single murder you put everything into. Mm. And when I first got there and there were that many teams and so obviously you were dealing with less murders mm. the, the 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 solve the the, the rate of uh, solving them was around about 90 percent mm. and, and as the teams dropped you know what's going to happen the, mm. the, the the clear up rate dropped and that that was hard because you, you don't you like i say you go into a murder expecting to solve it and you take it personally when you don't Mm. And if that's one a year, isn't too yeah. bad. But then you noticing it was maybe two or three a year, which doesn't sound a lot. Yeah. Um, but it, well, when there's you're a, there's the, a family the, there, isn't there? There's a yeah. So I was going to say, so the hard the hardest conversations I ever had, there were, there were two really. So the, the hardest conversations ever 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 when you go and tell someone that a loved one's dead. But after that, for me, it was sitting in front of a family and telling them that actually we're not going to solve your son's killing your daughter's mm. killing whatever mm. that, that was really hard because that, that, i mean how do, when you when you go into investigating a murder the various reasons that motivate you, you i mean obviously you've got your personal pride your professional mm. pride but doing it for mm. the family is a real motivation mm. and it really stings when you sit down in front of them and you, you're 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 breaking them almost they because they, there's a real for me, what what really sold it on the, on being on a murder investigation team was the very first time when I was at court and we got a conviction. Mm. Um, being sat in court um, and you've been through the you've been through the process of the investigation, mm. the trials can get really really messy because you know it's like mm. you've got defence lawyers. They've got the best yeah. they've got the best defence lawyers, which yeah. generally means that, that 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 they're the sort that are going to pick holes in everything and they're looking they're looking to if they mm. can't get their client off because of what the witnesses say they'll try and get the client off because you haven't done your job properly mm. and it can get really really messy and so once you got through the investigation you got through that trial and you sat there and you've got the jury have gone out you could be waiting for days and then you get that you get the tannoy can you come into court and and the, the usher says oh we've got a verdict the the adrenaline and the nerves that kick in uh, at that point. I know. I'm sure you must there. feel sick, dear. Yeah, and um, when they come back and that jury foreman stands up and says guilty, it, I, I, it's it's a feeling that I never ever got in the police until that point. It was like, and I thought I, I, I can't do anything else. This this is it for me. Yeah. And so that's what really really motivated you. And mm. and, and afterwards, what nine times out of ten you come out of court, and the family are just it's mixed emotions because mm. whatever whatever you do whatever happens in court they're not going to get their loved one back mm -hmm. but a lot of them and they said the same thing they give you a hug and they say we can thank you for that we feel like we've got justice we can start to move on in the in mm -hmm. like it's the grieving process isn't it they feel yeah. like they can move on so you feel like you're helping them that in, in order to achieve that mm. but when you sit down in front of them and tell them that's not going to happen it's the, it's the complete opposite it's like because as police officers a lot of us 
we're, we're like we're, we're like fixers aren't we we want to put mm. things right it's yeah, our yeah, job yeah, yeah. um and when you can't do that that's really that's really hard i, I really found yeah. that hard and, and, and that's and, i think one of the one of the hardest things about you know the impact of losing all the resources is that it goes against the grain doesn't it because we always felt that we were as you say fixers of problems sorting sorting out the bad the bad people helping the good people and then suddenly you're not able to do that anymore are you yeah i mean what we used to do we used to call it giving them the rolls royce service so we're going to investigate this murder as, as well as anyone is ever going to investigate you're going to get a rolls royce service this podcast is sponsored by aquila intelligence solutions aquila is a game-changing one-stop software solution for any organization that conducts investigations whatever you're investigating be it volume crime serious crime fraud or regulatory breaches, Aquila has it covered. For far too long, most frontline staff have been unable to provide professional service to communities, customers and partners because solutions have been far too expensive. Our vision is to empower anyone to conduct a digital investigation. Therefore, Aquila is priced to disrupt and support your entire workforce, not just a few experts. It provides multiple capabilities for about a quarter of what organisations currently pay for individual tools. Aquila allows your staff to locate, capture and ingest any digital data, for example, images, videos, files or documents from anyone, anywhere, from any device. It allows members of the public or partners to send evidence or intelligence or information overtly, covertly or anonymously for investigators to review and start building a case. Evidence and intelligence is fully searchable and can be enriched and verified from the internet or any connected third-party system. The entire investigation is audited and stored in the background to ensure compliance with law and policy. The completed investigation can then be shared securely with legal teams or authorised parties with a touch of a button. To find out more, or to get in touch, go to www.aquillatransfer.com. That's A-Q-U-I-L-A transfer, all one word, www.aquillatransfer.com. And when you suddenly feel like you're delivering a Ford Mondeo service, <laughs> yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? You feel like, because you, 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 right, you have given it your all, but you still haven't you haven't got the same resources as you had and, and a lot of that boils down to it, it if you imagine if you've got a murder if you if there's a murder team you're picking up one every um say three months or two or three months mm. what was happening just before i left is we were picking them up every six weeks okay. so no matter how hard you try it once yeah. once the next job comes in the one behind Mm. isn't going to get the same service yeah, yeah and then once it gets knocked down the list even more eventually you've got five or six murder investigations that are built up mm. none of them are getting the full service and what makes it worse is when you've when you've been there for did 12 years when you've been there at the beginning and you've seen what each murder used to get that mm. makes it really really hard because you feel mm. like yeah i'm giving it my all as much yeah. as I can, yeah. but my all isn't what it used to be because my all used to be I could yeah. spend months investigating it. Now, yeah. if I haven't solved it in six weeks or we haven't solved it in six mm. weeks, you know it's going to get knocked back. And as soon yeah. as they start to get knocked back, it makes it that much harder. 
Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And whilst I was never a murder, well, I was an SIO. Um, I did a few murders here and there. That was in the days. Well, I was actually child abuse DI. And then we were on the on-call road to four serious crimes. So I picked up, you know, murders here and there to manage mm. the initial response, you know, over the, over the first sort of generally weekends, you know, from... It always happens on Friday, <laughs> Friday, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah the, you know, you pick it up and manage the sort of first two or three days and then hand it over probably on a Monday. Um, um, uh, you know, I dealt with a lot child child deaths and, and what have you. But yeah, and, and then later on, I was when I was DCI Intel, part of my job was running the uh, homicide intelligence team uh, who supported the you know, the force murder investigations. And that was really interesting. And so um, what I'm really interested in talking about is your observations around sort of the investigation of murder um, over that period of time that you were involved in it. Because obviously a lot has kind of changed, um, not least of which is technology, I suppose. Mm. Um, so um, what, what are your sort of thoughts around... Um, how the way that murder was investigated when you started versus how it was when you finished what were the sort of main sort of sorry to just throw that question at you it's quite, yeah no it's fine quite it's a big fine. question I mean, isn't it really it, it is and it, but it, what, i suppose the way you deal with it is you look at the different strands of an investigation so when when you're investigating a murder, when you're doing the strategies around it, you, you have to separate it. So you so you, you you do a strategy for CCTV, for forensics, for witnesses, for telephones. So if if you look at it like that, each of those would have had advances in different ways. So forensics is a huge one, um, mostly around DNA, um, mm. but but the way in which they can find the, the most minute DNA now compared to even, even 10, 15 years ago. But that mm. does bring up its own issues. So, for instance, um, countless times we'd have... So if you get a firearm, if you get someone who's been murdered with a firearm and you recover the firearm, you think, great, I've got the gun back. Mm. Um, but because of the advances in DNA now, quite what often would happen is because these guns are passed around gangs. Yeah, you're going to get shitloads of profiles, aren't you? You do. And because it's so sensitive now, what you end up with is six, seven, eight plus, and, and it's like a, a soup of DNA. Mm. Once you get that, you, you're essentially, you, you're hamstrung because you can't mm. pick out an individual mm. um, DNA. So so as, as the more sensitive I got, I found it did create its own problems mm, mm. um obviously if you've got the one profile that could be found now that wouldn't be mm. found before that's great but yeah. if you're finding six or seven i found that mm. it used to be quite frustrating because uh, you feel like you've you, it, it almost is the smoking gun isn't it when you've got yeah. you've got the actual murder weapon yeah, yeah you think we're onto something in here but because they've handed it around mm. telephones is a huge one um so back when i first joined it most of the people that we arrested would have had little burners on them Mm. Very easy to download, interrogate. Mm. Um, now, when you're talking about, so for instance, iPhones, mm. first is your challenge to get into it because mm. th th that can be impossible. Then once you're into it, is the amount of data on it. And if you've got a murder investigation where you've got various different suspects, uh, you've got the victim, you might have some witnesses, et cetera, the amount of phones that can get generated. And we've all seen what can happen if you don't do that 
correctly yeah all the the, the information that's lurking in the background so that's a real challenge so you've, mm. you've you've got one or two detectives looking at essentially what are computers mm. and you might have 10 of them and you've got to try and work out what's on there that's a, that's definitely a challenge um cctv is definitely better than it used to be and mm. so so when you're going to court i don't think you a good witness is, is brilliant if you if you can go in with a good witness that can bring that drama and and mm. their, their feelings of fear and all that into a courtroom mm. and provide yeah. those moments that's great but if you can put if you can replicate what happened on the on the street with on cctv that can be even better and mm. uh, one of the last cases i dealt with we had the it was um in an estate that had a few cctv cameras not brilliant yeah. Um, and the ones we did have, the murder went off camera. And as we were walking around, we, we saw this one camera on a pole and, we, and it took us all weekend to, we could not work out who had this camera, who it belonged to. Mm. And it turned out that there'd been some issues with cycling along this path. It was, it was near to a, a path. Yeah. And we managed to find out who it was mm. and it captured the whole of the whole of the murder. And they mm. were, they were going down a route of, um, self-defense and once you saw this they were like a pack of animals on mm. this lad about five of them with machetes mm. and without that we probably wouldn't have got a conviction so yeah and cctv's CCTV. changed so much hasn't it i mean i remember the yeah. days when i was in special branch of spending literally weeks at denmark hill at the at the, yeah. at the at the lab at denmark hill yeah um looking at cctv in respect of terrorist investigations and of course it was literally going round grabbing vhs tapes yeah. and bagging them all up in big evidence bags and then trying to sort of it was like the biggest nightmare jigsaw ever um mm. trying to sort of figure out okay is is the clock on the camera yeah. correct if it's not correct what what is the actual correct time and then having to trying to figure out how you stitch it all together uh, and then, you know, looking at different angles and different places, a lot of the quality shit, uh, a lot of the systems were completely different. So the, the 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 geeks at Denmark Hill, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me calling them that, um, you know, they were brilliant in terms of decoding all these different systems. But of course, it's now all digital, isn't it? And, yeah. um, um, and the processes for retrieving that are arguably i don't know correct me if i'm wrong here arguably a bit more complicated because yeah, much more complicated yeah because it... you used to go into you won't get used to go into a garage and they would have monday to sunday on their on their vhs and they would just change it so mm -hmm. what date was it tuesday or they give you the tuesday vhs that that was quite simple anyone could do it yeah but now you you've got to go in and you've got to be able to download it off of the system so, so i mean we're, we're lucky in on a, on a murder team that you'll have the odd or DC that's had the extra training and can do that. But quite often you'd have to call out specific en specialist engineers to come out and get it downloaded. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the quality is so much better now as well. So you can actually do facial recognition on, on the systems because the quality mm. is so good in HD and yeah. not just in big buildings, um, houses, like private houses have CCTV that, that knocks the socks off of what was, what was about a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so obviously, technolo um, technology's come on. There's a, a whole massive range of different, and that's what I'm kind of doing now in my new life. You know, around um, um, developing solutions, helping develop solutions for law enforcement. You know, to kind of um, you know make sense of all of this stuff. Um, and uh, 
as you say, the science, the the forensic science has come on a huge amount. Um, what what's your thoughts around um, the value of an interview? So you've so you've done your investigation, you've had your offence, you've uh, gone out and you've managed the scene, and I'll let you come back. You've done a bit of parenting there. That's a, the plug that's had to come out the, the iPad. So oh I God, it's, it. it's like it's like <laughs> tragedy. It's like proper. That's a that's a proper crisis. That is. Um, yeah. yeah. So you've had your you've had your um, offence. You've you've uh, locked down the scene. Um, you've extracted everything you need from your scene. Um, you've uh, hopefully uh, maybe you know identified um, a suspect. And, and then you've gone out and you've um, maybe locked up uh, two or three people, um, seized phones and devices and blah, 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 blah. And you've got them in custody and you've, you're starting to think about your interview strategy. Um, given, so there is a point to all of this, by the way. Hmm. Um, <laughs> given that you've, we've now got this unbelievably rich um, uh, sort of, I don't know, what's the word? Um, huge variety of technology and data uh, with GPS locations and the forensics and the DNA, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's now possible for us to put someone at multiple locations with certain people at certain times um, and then to show that their DNA may also be present at some of those locations or in vehicles or on weapons etc etc so you overlay overlay your dna overlay your forensics overlay your data uh, and all using the software that we you know routinely use to do that what so what the question is what is the value now of an interview an old school interview um, bearing in mind that most of them will just say no comment to every question you put to them. Yeah, I mean, not, not, I would say ninety percent do say no comment, and so you also you you get to the point now where if someone's talking, you think hmm, maybe are they innocent? <laughs> you see what I mean? If they're guilty, yeah. wouldn't say anything. <laughs> so, uh, it, to, I I never in my twelve years on, on our team did we ever have anybody confess to murder. Hmm. They might have spoken, and they might have try to claim self-defense for instance mm. or they weren't there um but no one's ever come on and said yeah i killed them i meant to kill them or i meant to hurt them mm. um gone to court and, ple and pled guilty or anything like this it's, it's, it, it never happened i'm sure it, i'm sure it does happen it must happen but mm. never in my experience so you go into an interview not hoping but you go into an interview preparing in order for them to confess but you don't expect it you expect no comment mm. but what you what you essentially what you're doing is you're looking to at most is to get them to commit to a story mm. and a story that they haven't had months and months to prepare for so by the time they get to the trial they would have been served all the paperwork all the witness statements they would know your job as well as you do mm. so they have time then to think, well, what can I say? Well, I won't say that because this witness would contradict it, et cetera. So if you can get them to commit to a story, it doesn't even have to be that much in depth. If they can just commit to either they mm. were there or not, they weren't there, who they were with, et cetera. 
but mm. that that can be really helpful when you come to a trial because it can mm. cut off certain defenses it can cut off certain um avenues they would want to go down in this in their story mm. so that that's really what you, you're looking to do i don't think I know people outside of the police think when you're interviewing, you're looking for a confession. That's not what you're looking for. When, when, if, if mm. it's, if it happened, it would be a one in a one in a thousand bonus. Mm. That's not mm. what you're looking for. Like I say, you're looking to, for them to commit to a story at an early stage. Yeah. yeah Generally yeah. they don't generally they don't. Um, and to be honest, it's, it, it's something I'm sure, I'm sure you're the same. I, I got used to and people on the outside say, well, doesn't, don't you find it frustrating when they make no comment? And, my answer to that is no it's 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 my job or our job um mm. as investigators to prove the case it's not it's not, I'm not i'm not asking you to make the job easier for me by confessing um and if you don't talk to me we'll prove it in another way and yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I i do hear police officers say well it, well, it doesn't even matter but but it actually does and and, I, and i've seen it so many times so when we go to yeah. when we go for a trial for a murder and if, if they've made no comment in the interview and then later on at court, they've come out with some pony, pony defense, mm. not nearly every single time that the judge will raise the special warning for, for them, mm. the, for the fact of not special warning, but yeah, you, you, you know, the judge's warning. That was going to be, uh, that was going to be my next question. So you beat me to it, but carry on with that. Yeah. So just, so just, and, just, to, just to be clear for people listening who don't understand what you're talking about. So that is when it all goes back to the caution really, doesn't it? So, mm. So you say, so the police caution is you do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention, this is the bit, it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which you later rely on in court. So um, so that's what we're getting at, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you often hear police officers say, well, it doesn't matter because at court, it, 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 it does, there's no repercussion anyway. But there is, and I've and I've seen it, and and so they, the judge will say to the jury um, that they can draw an inference from the fact that they they said nothing at the police station because if you're innocent and you've got nothing to worry about, you could tell the police back then. But because you've you've waited months and months and then you come out with a story at court, it holds less weight. And I've it's 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 occasionally what happens is when you're when you're we spent weeks and weeks at the old bailey for instance or whatever court you're at you do sometimes bump into jury afterwards especially if you're having a drink out afterwards and there's no isn't you're not doing anything wrong the case mm. is finished and they'll come up to you and they'll, and they'll say oh i just wanted to say like i appreciate the work you put into it it's happened a few times mm. and on more than one occasion that they've said to me well, I knew they were. I knew he was guilty when he when he said nothing, no comment at the police station. And there was <laughs> there were jury members have said that. Uh -huh. So I I and, and I've not spoken. I've not spoken to hundreds of jury members. I've, I've, mm. If I if I've spoken to six, say, and mm. at least two of them have said that. Yeah. It's quite a percentage of people to say. So I, we don't we don't put a lot of stock in it as police officers, yeah. and we just assume that nobody else does. But jury members are, are weird. They're a weird bunch because you don't know you don't know their thought process. And if I know how, if I know one hundred percent, there are jurors there that are going to take notice of the fact they've made no comment. Then, then, then it is useful. And by making no comment at the police station, it, it can be used as evidence, and it can go against yeah. them later on. Yeah. So another one, just closely linked to that. Um, 
Steve, is the special warnings given in interview. And so this is definitely, uh, by the way, I just want to clarify, uh, I don't actually believe that interviews don't matter. I think they do because mm. you're putting the evidence to them. And if they choose to make no comment, then that's their right to do that. And yeah. I don't actually, I don't actually really give a shit whether someone wants to answer the questions or not. But if you put those questions to them and they've chosen to make no comment, uh, then that's fine. And and very often, as you know, um, you 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 could probably charge someone, get an authority to charge without even interviewing them, because the evidence from technology and other things is so compelling that that really an interview is which is it's kind of part of the procedure rather than something that's evidentially absolutely critical. Does that make sense? It, it is, but also as well, it's their opportunity. So if you're innocent, then tell me. And, 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 do you know what I mean? So not everybody we interview is, is guilty. Um, a lot of the people we interview get, get caught up in and they get arrested for the murder and they, it actually wasn't them that's done it. So people should have the opportunity to, to put their side across, even if we think we've got a lot of evidence against them. Um, so the 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 I, I inter interrupted my own I'm I'm good at interrupting I actually interrupt I managed to interrupt myself <laughs> as well there now <laughs> with that with that question so what I was talking about is special warning so so you've obviously got the caution and the person yeah. is told you know if you if you don't tell us now and you later use it at court then that will stand against you and they're they're cautioned obviously at the time of arrest and they're also cautioned you know before each interview starts um um. But there's the other special warnings, which is around accounting for any substances or marks or objects on the person or in the yeah. possession or at the place where they were arrested um, or, or um, uh, you know, so so, for example, uh, someone will be fine, perhaps with um, blood on their clothing or they could be fine. Uh, there might be a there might be a, a firearm in the boot of the car or, the, the, you know what I mean, or they're at a location, which is a critical location and they need to account for why they were there um how much weight do you think the courts put on those type of special warnings now i don't think they do because what you don't get is a double bite of the cherry so because as i said 90 percent of people make no comment if if they're making no comment then those special warnings are neither here nor there because the judge will give a warning about them having not spoken at all Mm. Um, I, I have never seen in any of the jobs I've had where somebody's been that special warning has made its way to a jury. It's, it's never happened. Really? Um, I'm, 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 that's, I, that's, that's just my experience. Now, whether, yeah, whether other people have got something different, I don't know. Mm. Um, because mm. like I say, you, it, it would be a very special set of circumstances for that to be able to come out, for instance. So it would have to be that the person was talking and they decided just not to answer mm. that particular part mm. of um, the questioning. Um, so mm. I've not, I've not actually seen it in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, another one. Sorry, I keep firing questions at you, but it's just interesting. Um, so the significant comments that that um, suspects can make um, mm. outside of an interview. So, for example, um, you will have someone who's been arrested for a serious offence. And maybe on the way to the police station um, or whilst waiting to be booked into custody, they will say something that is potentially significant. Yeah. But they're not 
um, being formally interviewed uh, yeah. on, on tape. So um, that generally speaking, the officer uh, who hears that will will write it down uh, as soon as possible, and then that will be then drawn, be brought to their attention, probably during the interview, the interview yeah. that, that they're making <laughs> no comment to, but. So that's an interesting one. In your experience, those significant comments made outside of an interview, um, how valuable or otherwise do you think they are? Uh, they are. They are valuable. Um, and you, you said about the police officer writing it down. It, it, they, the biggest issue I've had around them is when they've not been written down. Um, so, but they can they can be really quite impactful because you're not interviewing somebody if they choose to say something it can be given and if we go back to what when we're talking about what what we do the whole thing for who we're doing it for when we go to trial it's the jury mm. so if they get to hear the, the the suspect or the accused has said something and it's really important to the case they can then add their weight to it mm. um and that's why what they what the defense don't want they don't want that comment getting in so mm. the way if we go back to if they can't get the witness, they'll get what you do. If you've not recorded it right, there will be a whole, there'll be a hearing away from the jury. Mm. Um, well, they'll make an application. Well, we don't want this put into evidence because the mm. officer didn't record it. And there's very little really. If you're having a fight with someone and you, you can't get your pen out to write something down is one thing. But if someone's in handcuffs or in the, and they're in a police car or they're in a police station, there's no excuse for you not writing something down. So... Mm. Yes, I've seen plenty of times where those comments have been important, but I've also seen it where we've had a battle to get it in because the police mm. also haven't dealt with it properly. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I've seen seen the same myself. And just um, slight digression, um, the legal profession, what are your experiences, general feelings about the people who you dealt with, either the solicitors who come to represent them during the course of their sort of period of detention, um, and the, um, I you know, can't generalise, obviously, because I'm sure you've dealt with hundreds over the years, but what, generally speaking, what was your feelings about the legal profession that you dealt with over the years? If I said to you, a cab, <laughs> what, what is your response to that? All cops are bastards. Yeah. yeah, what would your response be? It would be, it would be, well, not all coppers are bastards, are they? And it's the right. same as listeners. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah, say... Yeah. So I, 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 I had some that were, were brilliant, some were some of the most horrible people I've ever come across in my life. Mm. Um, it's, I, I, I don't think there is a general. I think there's a, there's, 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 there's a spectrum of them. There's some that will, that will do everything, regardless of whether it's right or how dirty they can get. Like, for instance, there, there's, I won't use any names, but there, there are a couple that are defense the regular ones in the defense um of murderers and you know if they're in your trial things are going to get horrible mm. they will they will they will try every trick under the book and they'll, they'll go to even to the point where so i one of the one of this man that kept cropping up in my trials what he would do often he was he, he would create a narrative and it was, mm. it was nothing to do with your evidence but he he would have a story that he would introduce Mm. that he would he would then try and get the jury to believe mm. and so there was this one where it was a it was a it, this it was a drug dealer who got got stabbed in the leg part of a drug deal so he wasn't a particularly nice fella um but his dad came along 
And he decided that his narrative was that his dad was involved with his son's drug dealing. And there was literally no evidence of this at all. Mm. And he kept attacking him in the box. And the, even the judge warned him, he said, you've got to stop doing this. Ignored the judge and kept doing it. And it, it, was like, it was like a bulldog, he wouldn't let go. And every time he was in your trial, you knew there was going to be an issue mm. with it. Mm. And mm. this was a multi-handed one. And sat next to him was a fella that we used to go and have a drink with, another defence lawyer, and we would have a drink with him afterwards. Such a nice mm. bloke. Mm. So like, there's so ex there's extremes, and it's the same with any any profession. Yeah. Um, so as long as they do it, I've got no issues with solicitors and, mm. and barristers, etc. Mm. Even if even if they if they're trying to pick holes in my in my work, that's their job. But do it in the right way, and 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 also as well treat treat the police officers with a bit of respect. If you do that, fine. Yeah, uh, it's the ones that look down their noses. Yeah, at this and think, no, I used to enjoy putting a few of them in their place. Uh, when I was a superintendent doing superintendent's reviews of extension, uh, detention, um, uh, yeah, some of them would be snotty, really snotty. And I'd mm. have a word, you know, I used to quite enjoy, um, you know, telling them a few home truths in a, in a polite and professional way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a funny one. I mean, um, so my brother is a criminal barrister. Mm. And uh, and he was a police officer before that um, for quite a long time as well. Um, and I'm going to get him on the podcast at some point. Um, he's stupidly busy. He's you know he's in trials all over all over there on strike. It might be a good time to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a bit, a bit <laughs> he's got a bit of downtime. But um, yeah, I mean it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because you know there's those who, particularly when you talk about barristers, there's those who prosecute and defend. Mm. and and just have a very remorseless um examination of the evidence and mm. and as my brother would say you know well i let him speak for himself if the evidence is there they'll be convicted if the evidence isn't there we'll we will find that and we'll expose it and and yeah. and because and the question he would always put to me would be if you were charged with an offense yeah, 100% yeah, and i was there, about to say that yeah <laughs> and there was a evidential or procedural flaw in the case would you want me to exploit that yeah if we and haven't done our job properly, 100 percent. yeah if we haven't done our job properly as investigators then so whenever i i mean it, we would convict most people that we um we charge with murder and the ones you didn't you would always i would always and as i would make sure as a team we reflected on or why and I don't, th I can't think, there's, I can't really think of ever when we looked at ourselves and went, it's, it's our fault. It's just one of those things. If the evidence isn't quite there, mm. going back to our earlier conversations when people used to fill in gaps, we mm. don't do that. And, and the evidence is what it is. And if it's not quite there, if the witness hasn't quite said in the box what they've put in their statement, for instance, or they've mm. changed their account or mm. haven't turned mm. up or the the, the, mm. the the forensic evidence isn't quite there then then it is what it is you mm. just got to take it on the chin mm. um yeah well I, 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 like your brother says if if it was if it was me being on, on that on that other side i would want someone defending me rigorously doing it properly mm. but defending yeah, me yeah. rigorously yeah i mean i used to find um <laughs> i got a visitor <laughs> bless her um <laughs> it's all right she's fine um, I used to find some of the uh, people who regularly defended terrorist prisoners pretty, pretty unpleasant. 
you know, and I, I definitely felt that I'm not going to name names, but yeah. I, def- I was, definitely was, was one of a lady with a man's name. I couldn't possibly say, <laughs> <laughs> but I, d- I definitely think that there was a political agenda going on there, hundred yeah. percent, and uh, and it wasn't to do with uh, it was ob- it was about an opportunity to attack and undermine the British state, mm. and it wasn't about seeking. <laughs> Uh, justice or the truth it was about very much about um wanting to undermine um and su- support the people who were causing complete chaos mm. um that's my opinion it's only my opinion but um yeah i saw a lot of that over the years but um listen slight change of direction um what the fuck is going on in policing at the moment steve Wow. <laughs> what's, your, so, what's, your, what's your views yeah, on, what's, on what's everything that's, on that's been so, going on the last few years? Yeah. So obviously the title of your book is TJF. And I, 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 I honestly don't think it is. I don't because I associate the job with the job that police officers do. The, the arresting criminals, um, stopping crime, mm-hmm. um, helping helping the vulnerable the job that the job that we did and they people still do it so i've got two children my daughter mm. is a detective on one of the proactive teams right. and my son's son's a pc at peckham all right okay and 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 they, and they both they both really enjoy doing the job and they give it their all and they mm-hmm. do good mm-hmm. and so the job that they do is exactly the same as the job i did back then yeah. what has changed around it is the politics around it and some mm. of the culture Mm. Um, I think you saw I put out a post on um, LinkedIn when 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 we saw about the the Met going into special um, measures. Special measures. Yeah. Now, for, for me, the biggest issue with with policing is from the top down. Mm. Um, I think leadership within the police. Sorry, sorry is... I've just realised I forgot that your daughter was there, and I, I I hope she didn't hear me swearing my head off there. No, no, she can't hear. I've got the. Oh the, right, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. Carry on, <laughs> carry on, carry on. I suddenly had a, a moment of thinking. Oh shit! I'm going to get social services on. <laughs> sorry, mate. Right, it's fine. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so I, I, for me, it's about leadership, and it, and it's what I've seen over the years is is a is is a is a for me a leader is 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 a person that wants to wants to take people in a direction with them when it comes to policing mm. i want to take this group of people and if you're a, if you're a detective chief inspector or detective inspector what it is i want to take you group of people to mm. solve these crimes to yeah. bring justice to these victims if you're on tsg it's a different type of goal that you've got, but mm. but the leaders, the DS, the sergeants, the inspectors, the, everybody on it, it's about getting the best out of your people. And you're mm. and you're you've got a problem, and you're going to go and solve it. You've got a goal, you're going to go and achieve it, and you're taking people with you to get there. Mm. That's that to me is what leadership is about. Mm. I don't see that in the police now. What I see mm. is a group mm. of people, um, and it, over the years, it's got to where the most of and it's not most that's 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 not right but a lot of the leaders that i see aren't leaders they're managers they're mm. managing people and most of them are doing it not for the benefit of the job or for the benefit of the public a lot of them are doing it for the benefit of their own career mm. 
And what you end up with, and I got fed up, I got absolutely fed up with feeling like I was a pawn in somebody else's promotion game. Yeah. And quite often they'll be introducing, because of the way that we've introduced how you get promoted now, especially mm. uh, the higher up the ranks you go, what they're looking for is to you have to made strategic change, strategic mm. decisions. So you end up with, it, well, if I'm going to get promoted, I have to introduce some sort of change. Yeah. Now, I've, not, I'm, I've not got a problem with change. Change mm. doesn't necessarily mean bad. Change Only if it improves things, yeah. And, and for, but why is the change being introduced? If the yeah. change is being introduced so that I can put on my application form and go into an interview and say, well, look what I've done. Yeah. How many times have we seen where the change, mm. the person that's introduced it has then got promoted and moved on? And it's mm. those of us that are left behind have to pick up the pieces and make it work or yeah. someone else has to come in and put it back to the way it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think we've, we've introduced a culture of people. I, it's always been there where people want to get promoted and they want the next rank and they want to get places. But I, I, it, I don't know if it's also it's a reflection in society, you know, where everybody wants everything now. The youngsters want mm. everything instantly. So mm. we've got the internet and and whatnot. Mm. And it seems to be that within the police, everybody nobody wants to do the old tradition of becoming a detective, where you you um you, you're on the street for five or six years, become a thief taker, and we went into the crime squad and went through the squads and all that. Every people want to yeah. be a detective now, and they want to be on a specialist squad now. They don't want to go through the all those processes. Everybody yeah, yeah. wants things now. And it's the same with promotion. Every, everybody wants to get as high as they can, as fast as they can. But the, the consequences are, is you're not doing your job as a leader in the process. Mm, you, mm. You're supposed to be there yeah. as, a, as somebody who's, who's going to, like I say, is going to take people in a certain direction. Mm, mm. That should be your motivation. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's not. So the way I look at it, if, you, if you've got a, if, you're, if, you're a, if you look at the relationship between um, a manager and the person who's being managed. There are three mm. things in this relationship. There's mm. there's the manager, mm. the the person, and the job itself. Mm -hmm. And when you're making decisions, you're, you're you're essentially making decisions for the benefit of one of those. You you mm. you're if it's if it's change, if it's if it's a decision, it, many decisions you make in a day, you're making it for one of those three things. And as a leader. When you're making those decisions, it should be about either it should be about the job first, mm -hmm. and then either very slightly behind or maybe even joint the person you supervise it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your own interests mm. should not be at the top of the list, yeah. and that's yeah. what I think is is happening. Yeah, and yeah. as a result, you end up with uh, people of all ranks that are underneath feeling like they're not being supported feeling like the person mm -hmm. that's supposed to be there for them isn't they're only there for themselves yeah and and, and that that used to happen mm -hmm. but it used to be the odd one or two and you think well he, that, that he or she they're not they're not a good leader yeah i mean everybody yeah. would know who they are because mm -hmm. they're actually oh they're only here because they want to get promoted and mm -hmm. they're looking to get it on their cv yeah but it feels like the opposite is true now whereas mm -hmm. you've got those those sergeants those inspectors that really inspired people who really mm -hmm really carried teams and mm. people oh, I want to be like you when I get promoted mm. they're, they're like the they're well, not they, the norm anymore well, they, well, the they can, those sort of people generally find it very hard to get promoted um yeah. you know because they're probably too busy doing actually doing the job um to, yeah to, uh, rather 100%. than locking... on, on my promotion board to inspector I, I I can't remember what it was it was something like say it was 10 questions 
and and so there was there was one particular question stuck in my mind and i, I can't remember i can't remember what what area it was in or what the example was but to me it was an example of me leading mm. um but i was doing it within within the sphere of a murder investigation mm-hmm. and the person interviewing me said can i just stop you there um what you're doing is you're 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 telling me how you do your job i was like well yeah my job is a leader on a murder team and i'm showing how i lead and, and if, so they said well what they wanted me to come up with a new example and the example i come up with was some rubbish around communities and <laughs> and it was like oh, no. and it was like and, and, and they marked me on it it was like nodding away and i'm thinking so all you're asking me you're not you're not asking me and looking for cannot am i a leader am i a good leader can i take people with me you're not looking for that what you're looking for me to say is certain words that you've got on mm. your clipboard yeah that you can tick off to say yeah. that I've done it. So how's that a test of whether or not I should get promoted? Yeah, to, and, yeah. and and I, I see that across the board. And it, it we should be not we anymore, they should be looking mm. for their for their leaders from mm. they they should be displaying leadership mm. at all levels. Yeah. And leadership to me is not yeah. about spouting the right words, yeah. coming up with change that means nothing. Yeah. It's about inspiring the people that that, yeah. that are under you. A hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. And, um, you know, I had to fight tooth and nail for every, every, you know, I had a numerous setbacks, numerous, you know, God almighty. If there was, if there was any type of color of shade of promotion process, I've, I've been through it at some point, you know what I mean? Cause they change, they change them all the time as well. Don't they, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think my fear, I suppose, is that there's so many people like that now that you describe, that it's going to be extremely difficult to change it. I mean, yeah. I think because um, there because you can't just if you imagine you know you've got what is it ninety seven and a half percent of people police officers in the UK are PC sergeant and inspector rank. So you're only talking about you know less than three percent um, above above inspector. But the problem is that they are um, disproportionately influential, aren't they, yeah, in the organisation, yeah. um, and to try and clear out all of the bullshitters would be almost impossible um also so, it'd be like the turkeys voting for christmas wouldn't it yeah of course not they're never going because to agree to they're, that, they're not they? going to agree because the, the, the process that is in at the moment is what's got them to where they are yeah um and, and if they were honest with themselves and look back at their career and look at the the not again i'm not talking about all of them because there are some very very good senior officers but some of them will look at their career behind them. It's like the the, the driver that oh, I've never had an accident. Yeah. If you looked in your rearview mirror, you would have seen the pileups that you were <laughs> causing on the way. <laughs> and 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 that's what some of these senior officers are. They, they, I, I changed this and I did that and I've gone on a board. And everybody else that's left behind, are thinking, yeah. what well, this is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, we've we've you've and and the influence that these people can have, like you say on 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 the on the the, the constables, the sergeants and inspectors is disproportionate they can ruin yeah. people's careers yeah. they can ruin they can make people not want to come to work because of mm. decisions they've made yeah um and there's no it's repercussions very, it seems it's very very difficult um listen um I, there's just one a little scenario just to sort of i just want to just indulge me on this one okay indulge me um did you see the Panorama document documentary the other night about the allegations of um, SAS executing detainees prisoners in 
Afghanistan. Did you see that the other night? I I, I didn't. I tend I tend not to watch those kind of mm. programs because I I find them frustrating. Yeah, Cause yeah. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna present a documentary, you're you're gonna come at it with a certain you you've got an agenda, haven't you? Mm, mm, um, and, I, yeah. and, and those kind of things, I tend yeah. not to watch. Yeah, it was it was interesting though. I've got to say, um, I mean, I'm don't get me wrong, I'm a massive supporter of the armed forces, massive, and I used to work very closely with the SAS uh, and and SBS whenever they were on the sort of uh, counterterrorism, um, you know, UK CT squadron. Um, so I used to, I, used, I was SF liaison for, for a while. Um, so I'm massively supportive, massively. But I suppose the one thing, um, the interest to get your thoughts on this, um, they've got hold of a whole load of hundreds and hundreds, I think, of post-operation debriefs um, for when they went out and did night raids. And they identified that, there was um, something like 54 people who had been killed in strikingly similar circumstances, um, i.e. Um, had been detained, uh, been handcuffed or, or plasticuffed, uh, and then men. So the, the, the common denominators were um, detained, so in other words, they're not running away, you know, into the sort of, um, you know, trees or whatever. Um, detained, handcuffed, fighting aged men who were then taken away from the rest of the group into a building where, lo and behold, um, they were alleged to have grabbed a hidden weapon in the house or a hand grenade, uh, at which point they were then killed. Uh, and there was this sort of formula of an account that was given again and again and and obviously the, the Ministry of Defence and I you know saying they're going to reinvestigate it and blah 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 but just your thoughts on that as a as a very experienced murder investigator so this is a hypothetical scenario here okay um as a very experienced murder investigator what weight do you think you could put on the guilt of an individual. It might be the SAS scenario. It might be something else. Okay, this is just a, a general mm. idea. Um, if you've got a, if you've got an MO, let's call it an MO, modus operandi, mm. which is strikingly similar mm. across numerous incidents, but there is insufficient evidence in terms of eyewitness evidence. How much weight do you think? Um, can be put on that type of evidence, which you suggest from from your criminal investigation background. Yeah. But it's 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 um, evidence of similar fact, isn't it, or um, bad character? So mm. you can use someone's previous behaviour as mm. a as a pointer as to whether somebody's guilty of an offence. In order for to do that, though, there would need to be some. It'd have to be something a bit unusual. So, for instance, if you've got a burglar and they break into a house in a particular way, um, louvre windows or something like that, and there's a, there's mm -hmm. a particular way that they get in, you could potentially introduce that if, if there's if there's evidence to support it. But if it's just a burglar who breaks in through the back door, you're not going to do that, are you? Mm -hmm. um, and and so that's in that's in law, and we do use that. So, mm -hmm. for instance, um, uh, Fred and Rose West. So. Fred was dead. Um, but between them, they killed about 10 people. Um, how do they know that Rose was part of the, the killings of the, of, the, of the women that they killed and the young girls? 
well what they did was they looked at the the what they didn't just kill people they also sexually abused women as well mm. so they spoke to the women that they sexually abused and they said that no rose was as part of that as, as fred was mm. so the, the the prosecution went with well look if rose is part is all over this and she's as guilty as fred when it comes to sexual assaults then it stands to reason that she was there when the, mm. those same women and those same kind of circumstances were killed mm. Mm. so you can use somebody's behavior and pattern behavior as behavior as evidence in a british court it's it's there, there's mm. precedence for it yeah no i mean i don't i don't know the truth obviously of what's gone on out there um it was sort of you know more than 10 years ago and i think it'd be a hell of a job to, to try and put together uh you know a, an investigation that was going to get you know at the truth of of it but i mean it's a real shame i've got to say and, and it could be that this is another example of the bbc because they are i do i do think they are and i do think parts of the bbc are quite anti-establishment and this could but, just but be also as well so sorry and just sorry. just talking if we're here if we if we look at the, the I, I didn't see the documentary but from the, the scenario that you've said has happened in this country hmm. and it was stephen oakes in the special branch officer up in manchester Right. So we were, um, it was around 2003-ish, 2000, I think, around there. Mm. Um, I was on call with SO13, and we got information that there was um, rice in at addressing Wood Green. Mm. So we we went there. Um, we were the first ever deployed um, CBR, CBRN um, officers. So we, we, just very, very briefly, uh, we were in a briefing on the fifth floor at the uh, Scotland Yard and we were, the, we were the team that were going to go in, I think about six of us into this address. And they had some scientists from Port and Down came and mm. to brief us about what, what ricin was. Mm -hmm. And we'd been told that we were going into this address in uh, the paper suits that you put prisoners in and a, yep. and a, a sort of mask that you do, um, you're decorating in. Yeah. And the scientists <laughs> said, so ricin, he said, if you get a, if you get a pin, um, the bit that you would get on the on the point of a pin, that would be enough to kill you. Oh, and we out. sort of sat there, we're looking around, <laughs> and we're like, and you want us to go in in these paper suits? They're like, no, we go, we want to go. If we're not going in, if we don't wear CBRM, we're not going in. So, yeah. so we, so we did. So we went in, and we did. We found traces of ricin in a pestle and mortar. Um, and there was a person that was supposed to be there. It was a, a man by the name of Camel Borgas. Mm who was at the time the most wanted uh, terrorist mm. in the UK mm -hmm. and he wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was there was uh, operation, I can't remember what the name of the operation. Um, and it was, it was all connected. There were, all these people were connected. And one of them was on a recall to prison. Mm. It was all to do with the, the, the restriction orders that they had. And he was supposed to be up in Scotland. So we sent one of our DCIs up there and he, he went into the address and the fellow that was on the recall was there. And there was three other people in the address. And he, 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 was, he got the names of them. And one of the fellas looked a bit shifty and he'd, he'd given a name. And he started to look at him and think, this could be Camel Borgas. Mm. And he's sort of, he's gone off, he's taken a phone call, he's come back. And I think he had like a scar on his, above his eye or something. Mm. And he's looking. And Borgas is obviously getting wind, actually, they know it's me. Mm -hmm. And he was in a kitchen with Stephen Oak. And he went for a knife mm. and he got a knife and he, and he, and he, he stabbed Stephen to death. Mm. So 
in that that when you said that scenario, that's what brought to me. Yeah. It's the exact same thing has happened here. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. we don't know is that are there places that they do hide weapons just mm. in case for this stuff. So th- there may yeah. be a pattern, yeah. but my gut feeling is to say, well, let's 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 not jump to conclusions. Oh no, definitely it may don't. well be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may well be yeah. that that the that these Taliban, whoever they are, yeah. do have weapons hidden around for this exact same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it as well. And I I just looked at that and just thought, oh God, pity the pity the poor bloody investigators who picked this one up because because um you know I know it's allegedly been already investigated by the military police. Um uh, investigated twice, I believe. So, yeah, I've got no doubt that they did a, a very good job. Um, but I suppose it, it'll all come out in the wash, won't it, really? Mm. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a right old, uh, right old can of worms, I'm afraid. But um, listen, um, just uh, just before we finish off, uh, Murder Academy, what's that, what's that all about? Um, <laughs> is it, it, I, I've just kind of gone off in all kind of different directions just to see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my book is about um, how murders are investigated and it's aimed at true crime fans it's aimed at people who want to get an understanding of how that happened how how we solve murders not not the, what you see on telly not what you might read in books how we actually solve murders mm-hmm. and part of that as well is I put some videos on YouTube and it's 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 talking through different types of processes um, for people who might be interested Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a and there's a, some other things on there where I look at some cases like it's a case in America I look through. If I'm honest, it's it's one of those things I've done, and I'm not that invested in. It. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 been asked to write another book. I've been right. um, commissioned by uh, Bonnier to write another book, and that's where I'm putting my efforts at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think, and this is what I say to anyone who, um, when they leave the police or any organization for that matter that they've been in for a long time. Um, you know, don't be in a rush to make your mind up exactly what it is that you want to do, you know, and yeah. um, you'll try a few things. I've certainly tried one or two things, uh, one or two been uh, quite successful, other things less so. Um, or you just think and go, actually, no, this is shit. I don't want to do this. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, just uh, it's, it's a very liberating time of your life, isn't it? Cause you've, you can yeah. uh, the world is your oyster isn't it really well, we're in a lucky position that we, we we get to our end of a career and we get a regular income afterwards mm. um which for me has made it where i can do what i want to do and see where it goes as i'm not chasing a pound note yeah yeah um and it, and like so things happen so i don't know where it's going to go so when my book gets pub gets gets relaunched next month i know it'll have more um, weight behind it because it's got yeah. these, these publishers and it'll be in yeah. bookshops and airports and whatnot. So yeah. I don't know where it's going to go. So, for instance, the other day I got contacted by um, homicide investigators in Illinois. They have a, mm. an annual conference mm. and they've, they've invited me to go out and speak there. Um, All right, brilliant. And there's a couple of things. And so I'm, I'm just going to go yeah. with the flow. Yeah, yeah. And just, just see uh, where it yeah, takes yeah. me. Absolutely. Just um, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And and my next book, I'm writing about Jack the Ripper. And if Jack the Ripper, if, if those exact murders were to happen now in the exact circumstances, how would it be investigated? Mm. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the process of learning about Jack. I, I, I didn't really... I, Looking back now, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. I really, I've really enjoyed learning about that. Well, do you know Mike? Do you know Mike Neville? 
uh, he was one of my previous podcast guests. He's a ret- no. fairly recently re- retired DCI from the Met, and he does these history uh, tours. I'm sure he does a. I'm sure he does a Jack the Ripper one. So yeah, you you guys should have a have a chat. He's a good. He's yeah. good value. He's good value. He's good fun. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. I think I would just encourage you, as I would anyone, and and say this to myself. You know, just um, I'm a big believer in saying yes to everything. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, not maybe not everything, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Within reason. Within reason, yeah. As long as it doesn't hurt, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, on that on that uh, slightly strange note, we shall yeah. <laughs> we shall finish. <laughs> Listen, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been funny watching your daughter wandering around in the background uh, <laughs> with chicken pox and you getting stressed trying to keep her quiet you know? <laughs> brilliant alright mate listen All right, mate. keep in touch um, no thank you uh, yeah shall... I really enjoyed it cheers yeah, it's good and uh, I should follow your progress with great interest and uh, yeah and uh, you, you might be able to help me out with a couple of little projects I've got on the go at the moment so uh, yeah who knows cool. nice one alright yeah. All thanks right. mate cheers Steve all the best bye 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 If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be really grateful if you can give it a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Equally, if you've read my book and enjoyed it, then I'd be really grateful if you'd give it a five-star review on Amazon, as that's probably the only platform you can use to review books, apart from Goodreads, I think. And if you want to contact me to tell me anything or ask me anything you can do that uh, by sending an email to ian i-a-i-n at ik-insights.com which is my work email address and finally if you'd like to be part of the tango juliet foxtrot facebook site you can find it funnily enough on facebook thanks a lot Oh, <laughs>